Welcome to Wrong Sports. I am Tim. I will be your narrator as I go through all of the many college sports stories that I have here on Wrong Sports. I have about 40 right now. If you want to check out all of the visual documentaries that I will be doing in podcast form over the coming weeks on this channel, make sure you check out the visual documentaries right now on my YouTube. Just search Wrong Sports. Check it out there. But on this podcast version, I will be covering all of the documentaries that I went over on YouTube. It will just be an audio form. So you might hear me mention things here and there that relate to the YouTube. I'm sorry about that. But but again, if you want to check out the visual version, go to my YouTube right now, Wrong Sports. And on this podcast, I will be covering all of the many documentaries that I have done already. I have done so many about all of the winning streaks in college football, as well as losing streaks in college football. That'll be the first podcast that I will be doing today. And I also will be doing future episodes about college football programs that are no longer playing. So make sure you subscribe to the channel and check out more in the weeks to come from Wrong Sports. But in this first episode, I will be going over the epic 80-plus game losing streak of Prairie View A&M. It went almost a decade. So if you got a long drive or maybe a lot of yard work or maybe a lot of housework to do, this will be a perfect podcast for you to start off on. So strap in. And I'm just going to give you a little short summary, a little history lesson about Prairie View A&M. First off, Prairie View is located in Prairie View, Texas. It's about 40 miles west of Houston. And Prairie View A&M is also the second oldest public institution of higher learning in Texas. It was established in 1876. And it was also put in the state's constitution as a school for African Americans. But to go with the education side, the school became one of the more well-known historical black colleges slash universities along with Grambling and Southern back in the day due to their football team and their coach, Billy Nix. Under Nix from 1952 to 1965, they won 127 games and they had three undefeated seasons as well as six black college national championships. Along with that, they also have one of the best bands in the country, and you will be seeing a lot of video of them. Like I mentioned, they are called Marching Storm, and they would be the ones who would actually draw more spectators and more attention than any of the sports on campus, and that's probably why I can find more video on the bands than I can on the football team. Anyway, though, Prairie View A&M was a great team in the 1950s and 60s, but once the 1970s came, they struggled as they had one winning record in the 1970s and in the 1980s they could barely get to three wins a season. They went through coaches every three or four years, and instead of looking for a new face to shake things up, they kept hiring from within or promoting their coordinators to head coach. Example being Conway Heyman. He got the job in 1983, but after an 0-3-1 start in 1987, he was fired, and Prairie View A&M promoted their offensive coordinator, Hanny Ketchings, to head coach. Ketchings never had a head coaching job before this, and he finished off the 1987 with a 3-4 record. And he improved to 5-5 five and five in 1988, the first time they had a 500 record or better in over a decade. But after that 5-5 five and five record, the team completely fell apart, and they went 1-9 in 1989. But during that season, there was tons of turmoil, as players boycotted playing, and dozens of players left the team, some even joining the Army so that they wouldn't have to play on the team. The reason was because Ketching, who apparently took athletics more seriously than academics, to the point that half of his team were in some sort of academic trouble. But it wasn't because the players were dumb. It was because Ketchings was like a mini-emperor on campus, as he would threaten players that weren't playing well on the field with taking away their financial aid, which for most players was the only way they could actually go to school. 
Plus, Ketchings would have six-hour-long practices, resulting in exhausting his players and not allowing them to get their schoolwork done. And along with that, there were also other accusations of Ketchings taking books away from players that weren't performing well on the field, also making them suffer academically. This would all come to a head towards the end of 1989, as Prairie View was 0-7. They would beat Mississippi Valley State in Game 8, and then lose their next game by 1, before losing their finale by 49 points, making them 1-9. So it was clear that something was wrong, but the president of the university still didn't want to let catchings go. Catchings would hang on through 1989 and actually into the spring, but after uncovering a massive financial scandal, Catchings was found to have forged or lied on financial forums, and he was finally let go, along with about eight to ten other coaches on campus. The financial scandal not only affected football, but all sports, as the school would shut down all of the athletic teams besides track and field for the 1990 season. The football team and the other teams would be back in 1991, but under massive financial handicaps due to being $3 million in debt, and because only a fraction of the alumni came through to donate, so they really didn't have any good funding. And because of that, the athletic department hired or promoted people already on campus. Their women's track and field coach would would be the athletic director along with her coaching job and to find the next football coach she didn't look far promoting their defensive coordinator Ronald Beard to be the head coach and he would also assist her in the athletic department as well as other jobs which I'll get to in just a moment. So after hearing all the craziness that was happening to the athletic department, it wouldn't be shocking that they would go on an epic losing streak, but fans of the program and former players just didn't know how bad it was going to be. So now we are finally in 1991, and I just mentioned how Ronald Beard was hired to coach, turn around, and pretty much remake the Prairie View A&M team. But it wasn't going to be easy at all, as along with coaching and assisting the athletic department, Beard was also teaching 28 hours of classes each week, and he coached the golf team as well. But you might be thinking, okay, he has assistants, right? Yeah, he did have four full-time assistant coaches, and I'm going to be putting quotes around full-time because these coaches weren't just coaching football, example being their offensive backs coach, Clifton Gillard. He was also an assistant on the track and field team, plus their defensive line coach was the tennis coach on campus, and their defensive backs coach was the women's basketball coach. So this was really a high school coaching staff on a shoestring budget, coaching Division I AA football. Well, if the coaching staff didn't look great, their roster really didn't either as they only had five defensive players returning from 1989 but on offense they were returning a quarterback who was injured through the 1989 season so he still had eligibility remaining they also had 20 players on their roster when the season started this was according to the conference media guide so this might have been players that signed or made the team through open tryouts and they also had another 30 signees from high school with just barely a full roster, they started the season knowing that some players would have to play both offense and defense, and if someone got injured, they might not have anyone behind them on the depth chart. Okay, so the coaches had handicaps, there were limited players, and oh yeah, their equipment was really subpar. 
Most of their tackling equipment was broken, so they practiced using themselves, resulting in more injuries. Plus, their jerseys weren't even theirs, as they used old practice jerseys from the Houston Oilers, and on top of that, they couldn't even wash them properly, as their washing machine couldn't take detergents and would often break down. So they washed it in just water, showing off stains throughout the season. Plus, there was also a story in Sports Illustrated about a player on their defensive line who weighed over over 330 pounds and they didn't have padding for him, which I'm sure was not good for him at all. But they started the season with all of those minuses and Beard was thinking that his team could at least compete because in their first game versus Texas Southern, they had 200 passing yards and 249 total yards, but they gave up 400 yards in this game and they were down 20 to nothing at halftime, resulting in number one on the season, 23 to six. But even though this loss was number one of 1991, it was actually loss number three of this epic losing streak, so strap on in. Next week was the start of some really bad games for Prairie View. First, they traveled to Angelo State. They were out of the Lone Star Conference in Division II for a non-SWAC game. And this might have been their most embarrassing game since it was versus a lower level team and Prairie View had 29 yards rushing. Yes, 29 yards rushing, 18 yards passing, and four first downs. Angelo State, meanwhile, had 550 total yards, 37 first downs to cruise by Prairie View 55 to nothing. So that was a bad game, but this next game was pretty bad too because they were playing Southwestern Missouri State. They are now known as Missouri State. So this was another non-SWAC game, but this was also a 1AA team. They were out of the Missouri Valley Conference. So they were supposed to be on their level, but really Division II and Division III teams were more on Prairie View's level. And I'm always trying to find positives, which is hard for them this season, as they did better on offense in this game, which was easy to do after last game, as they had 90, yes, 90 total yards, but they gave up 300 yards by halftime and gave up over 400 yards total, and they got shut out again for loss number five, 61 to nothing. They just kept struggling as they played another out-of-conference team, Texas A&I, who are another D2 school out of the Lone Star Conference, but they were one of the really good teams out of that conference, and Prairie View didn't do well against one of the mediocre teams in that conference, so you can just assume how this game went, as Texas A&I had 28 points in the first quarter, and once again, Prairie View gave up over 400 yards. They didn't get 100 yards on offense, and they lost 41 to three, so at least they scored some points in this game, but it could have been a lot worse because Texas A&I clearly kept their foot off the pedal in the second half. So now they're back to playing in their conference, this Southwestern Athletic Conference, with their most famous coach in the SWAC, and a coach that had over 350 wins at this time, and he was nearing 400. That was Eddie Robinson. And usually these Grambling games didn't go well, but it actually looked pretty good because Prairie View actually scored first on a halfback pass for 74 yards, but then Grambling would score eight touchdowns before the half and a few more after half to win 77 to seven. But hey, at least Prairie View would actually score first. This was actually Prairie View's worst defensive outing so far as they gave up over six 
hundred yards. Yeah, Grambling did not take their foot off the pedal in this game. The 74-yard touchdown pass definitely helped with their total, though, because they had over 200 yards total in this game, but they couldn't get in the end zone again, so they only had seven points, which was their highest point total for the next few weeks. They get another out-of-conference team next and another Division II school. This time, it was the Cameron Aggies. And I don't have stats on this game, but I don't think Prairie View did all that much. They lost 51-6. to And this game was probably one of their lowest of low points this season due to Cameron not only being a Division II school, but also because Cameron would play one more season of football in 1992 before disbanding their program completely. These next three games were like really bad. If you thought that last game was bad, these next three are like really bad in terms of just stats and just score-wise. Uh, first, they traveled to Alcorn State to play a freshman that would have a great NFL career in quarterback Steve McNair. He was already showing how good he would be as he would have over 300 yards in this game and a few touchdowns, adding to his freshman record of 19 touchdowns he had through six games. Alcorn State in this game had 700 total yards, while our friends at Prairie View had 71 yards. That's it. This game was a blowout by half, and the final score was 61 to nothing. Prairie View is now 0-7 on the season, and the streak is at 9. Okay, that last game was ugly, but this next game showed just how bad Prairie View was because they would be playing Alabama State, who were 5-0-1 with their only tie against Texas Southern, who, if you remember, beat Prairie View by 40 points. So after hearing that, it wasn't going to be crazy that Prairie View A&M was going to lose, but I don't think anyone thought how bad this game was actually going to be because there was actually a big record set in this game. Alabama State scored 50 points in a quarter as they put up 50 points in the second quarter to put this game completely out of hand at half. They were leading 72 to nothing at the half. Like most games happening this season with Prairie View A&M, most if not all of the fans left at halftime, which was where the best part of this game was, when the bands played obviously. And they didn't miss anything after half as Prairie View had under 100 yards in this game and they lost 92 to nothing, which was the first time in about a decade or two where a team gave up 90 plus points. Okay, this next one had some significance as Prairie View A&M was playing Mississippi Valley State, who was the last team that Prairie View A&M beat in 1989. This game was hard fought for maybe the first half or so, but it was still 21 to nothing Mississippi Valley at half. Prairie View A&M had a better offensive output this game as they had over 140 total yards, but they still didn't score, losing 42 to nothing, and they are now 0-9, and in those last three games, they gave up 195 points, and they didn't score in any of those games. All right, so those last three games were pretty dreadful, but they would get a little bit better here coming up. Prairie View A&M was actually supposed to be playing SWAC opponent Jackson State this week, but they couldn't get the schedule right, so they had to play it later in the season. So Prairie View ended up playing a non-SWAC team in Texas State. But I don't think it really would have mattered who Prairie View A&M would have played because they didn't have a lot of offense in this game. And it mostly came in the second half due to Texas State playing pretty much every player on their team this game. 
But even with 300 yards of passing offense, Prairie View A&M could only muster six points. Texas State, meanwhile, had 680 total yards. They led 38 to nothing at half. And once again, everyone stayed for halftime for the bands to show up. And then they left when the bands left. The final score was 59 to 6. But this was really the first time they scored in about 14 quarters. One more chance left for Prairie View as they would play Southern in their final game, who were coming off a four-game losing streak, and they gave up a bunch of points in every game. So maybe Prairie View could manage something here? They did actually manage some offense in this game, as they had over 300 total yards in this game. They managed to score 20 points in this game, too. The only thing was they scored all 20 points in the second half, and by that point, Southern had scored about five times or so. So the win didn't obviously come here. The final was 56-20, to 20, but this score looked a lot closer than it really was. Prairie View did it, though. They went 0-11, making their losing streak now 13. They also had some disgusting stats in this season. As you can guess in some of the scores from these games, like I mentioned, one stat that is crazy is that their rushing total for the year was 377 yards on 299 carries, meaning they averaged less than one yard a carry, and they had less than 40 yards of rushing a game. Plus, after looking at final stats, I can conclude if this team didn't have the defense that they had, they would lose every game by about 100. I say this because they didn't really have a terrible passing defense, as they finished better than one other team in their conference. Plus, they came in third in the SWAC in having the least amount of penalties. And to go along with that, they had a plus 7 turnover margin. So I could just imagine if they had a negative one, how much worse the scores could have been. Checking in on their offense, there weren't many bright spots in this team. The lone one was their receiver, Bo Gillard. He led the SWAC in pass receptions, but that might be because he caught anywhere between 80 to 90% of the passes thrown by all of the quarterbacks. There were 84 caught passes this season, and he caught 68. So yeah, he was pretty much their entire offense. And one final stat before I move on to the next year. This team was outscored in the first half 393-7. to seven. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a contrast like that before. And it kind of proves something that I'll be mentioning and I'll be talking about a lot at the end of this video, and that is how far behind Prairie View really was from everyone, not only in Division I AA, but probably Division II or Division III. This school probably just should have taken the 1991 year off and then come back in 1992 because they were just so non-competitive this year, and it wasn't their fault at all. They just had no money. They didn't have the players. And they just really should have been playing that kind of schedule. And it's also probably why I can't find any video footage of any of the games this season. Because whoever was videotaping the games probably just videotaped uh, the dance troupe and the bands at the beginning and halftime and then just left when they left. So now we are flipping the calendar to 1992. We are getting over this disastrous 1991 season. And Ronald Beard actually acknowledged how bad the 1991 season was in the SWAC media guide. He realized that his team was going to go winless about halfway through this season. But even though last season was so bad, they did learn a lot about their team. For one, they learned who were their best players. As on defense, their best players were obviously their linebacker, Alphonse Provo, and their free safety, Dominic Artis as they had a total of 184 tackles and were third and fourth in the SWAC in 1991. 
Along with those returning players, they were also returning their best offensive player at Gillard, who was playing receiver this year, and he would be a huge help since this team pretty much had absolutely no running game. And it would also help because their best quarterback from last season, Danny Hall, would be back, and he needed a good receiver since in 1991, he threw for 21 interceptions and four touchdowns. Along with these good players coming back, Prairie View A&M would bring back a total of 32 players from the previous year and 17 starters from last year too. So with those returning players, that should help out the team. So did the addition of some more assistant coaches. Last year they had four, and most of them were doing two or three other jobs on campus. But this year they would have six assistants. They would have a full-time offensive and defensive coordinator, as well as coaches at linebacker, DB, quarterback and running back, and wide receiver coach. So this would take something off the plate of their winless coach, Ronald Beard, who was still coaching another team on campus, as well as assisting the athletic department. So even with all those returning players, additional players that they would get either from high school or from on campus, and extra coaches, this team was still not competitive with pretty much anyone in 1992. And we'll start with their first four games in which they scored six points. But that wasn't the worst part, as they would give up a total of 164 points. They would play SWAC foe Texas Southern first, as they always do. And I actually found some video of this, so let's check out a little bit of it. And I'm actually going to be playing this in the background of other games I go over, so just enjoy it. And this game also had something else cool in it, and that was Michael Strahan was playing for Texas Southern in this game. He's actually number 75, but Texas Southern didn't let Prairie View do anything in this game, as they were up 28 to nothing at half, and this game was over 35 to nothing. So enjoy some more video footage as we get to Prairie View as they play two more out-of-conference foes. First was Angelo State. They were 6-3-1 last year, and you remember Angelo State shut out Prairie View last year. And Angelo State were undefeated coming into this game, and Prairie View did a little better than they did last year as they actually managed to score a field goal in this game. They still lost, though, 33-3, so their record was 0-2 now. Langston was up next, and they were also 0-2, and they were also coming into this game only scoring 14 points in their previous losses. Langston was happy to play Prairie View because they put up 33 points and over 480 total yards. Meanwhile, their defense gave up 160 total yards to Prairie View, and they didn't get in the end zone at all. This gave Prairie View their second shutout and Langston's only shutout they would have all season. So Prairie View would continue to make Division II and Division III schools look a lot better. Prairie View were now 3-0, and their streak was at 16 straight losses. Grambling and Eddie Robinson were up next, and he once again didn't hold back on Prairie View this year. Robinson and the Tigers only put up 63 points in this game as they beat down Prairie View 63-3. This next game was one of two big games this season as they played out-of-conference team West Texas A&M, and they shared something with them, that being that they were both rebuilding their football squads. West Texas was doing that because their president would abolish the sport after the 1990 season, only to bring it back in late 1991. But he would bring it back as an independent school. They left the Lone Star Conference, and they played without scholarships, as they had a bunch of walk-ons or whoever wanted to play for them. So they were pretty much the same team as Prairie View were. 
This was looking like the game for them to win since Prairie View actually had more returning players and most would think that Prairie View would have better players since they were playing Division 1 AA and West Texas A&M was basically a Division 3 team and they were also playing Division 2 and Division 3 teams at the time. Unfortunately, I don't have any stats on this game, but this game was really close until a 94-yard kickoff return by a West Texas A&M player who actually transferred from Prairie View A&M. And after the kickoff return, Prairie View couldn't come back and they lost 21-15. After that loss, it didn't get much better for them as they would play Alcorn State and Steve Air McNair. McNair was in his sophomore year and, and he was coming off of throwing 24 touchdown passes in his freshman season and he was lighting up teams again this year. Prairie View's defense couldn't stop anything Alcorn did, and Alcorn only played McNair for two and a half quarters, but he would still have 220 passing yards and four touchdowns, and this game was a disaster for Prairie View and their defense, like last season was. They lost this game 63 to nothing. So Prairie View is 0-6 and more than halfway through this season, so that was good. They would play Alabama State, who put up 90-plus points last year on them. And this year, the Prairie View defense actually stood up to them as they only gave up half of what they did last year as they lost 44-6. But this would start a three-game run where they would actually score a touchdown. So that was actually something positive for Prairie View A&M this season. Mississippi Valley State was up next and they lost a little bit of their seven wins and they lost a little bit of their seven win team from 1991. So this game was a little closer than most thought it would be. Prairie View would actually score twice in this game, but unfortunately, Mississippi Valley would score four more times in the first half and pull away to win 35 to 14. So Prairie View are now 0-8 with 21 straight losses, and I'll go over Jackson State and Texas State quickly because they weren't great. Texas State was first, and it was an out-of-conference game, and even though Prairie View would score a touchdown, they couldn't get anything more, which didn't help since Texas State would score 56 points, giving them loss number 9 on the season. Jackson State was next, and they were mad coming into this game as they lost their last two weeks in a row, which ruined their chances for a SWAC title. Jackson State, though, had nothing to prove against Prairie View, and they shut them out 46 to nothing, giving them their 10th loss on their season and their 23rd of this streak. The season was almost over as they had one more game for Southern on November 21st. The game was happening at the University of Houston, and Prairie View was playing like it was their last game ever, as they actually held a lead. They were up 7 to nothing before a weather delay and a wind advisory delayed this game for an hour. When it resumed, Southern got back into it, but Prairie View didn't, as Southern would score but miss on the extra point, so Prairie View was still leading 7-6 to six with minutes left. This was their only fourth quarter lead and their only second half lead since the decade started. This was their only fourth quarter lead and only second half lead for Prairie View since the decade started. Southern were drive to the two-yard line, but Prairie View stood them up three times, and unfortunately, on fourth and two, Southern got in the end zone to give them the 12-7 lead, and that would hold on to give Prairie View their 11th crushing loss of the season and their 24th straight loss of this streak. 
Prairie View ended the season scoring 55 points or five points per game. Along with that, they only scored five offensive touchdowns. I do have some stats for this season, and their best player was, of course, Bo Gillard for the second straight year. He had 49 catches this year, but he also had 789 receiving yards. Both were down from the previous season, but that might be good because Gillard was pretty much the entire receiving core the previous season, and this year he did have some help as there were some other Prairie View receivers, and totaling they had 50 catches for over 450 yards. Also in the 1992 season, they managed to throw for over 1,200 yards between two quarterbacks, and they also improved on their rushing attack as they got 1,000 yards total, but they lost 400 yards on sacks and whatnot, so they actually had 640 net rushing yards, a 150-yard improvement from the previous season. Meanwhile, the school on defense improved a bit, which was pretty easy to do because they only gave up 441 points, a 150-point improvement over the 1991 season, and they would only just barely give up 40 points per game, and they gave up 40 points five times, which was also a five-game improvement from the previous year. Their defense improved in yards given up per game, as they gave up 471 yards per game. I know that sounds bad, but that was a 50-yard improvement improvement from the previous year. There were also positives in the turnover department as they fumbled and got intercepted less this year, which might also account for their decrease in their defensive point per game. But like I mentioned at the end of the 1991 season, they clearly weren't ready to play football because they really had no players with any experience on the 1991 roster as three quarters of the players that played in the 1991 season had little or no football experience. And in 1992, more than half of their roster had football experience coming in or playing. This can be seen in a stat that was according to Coach Beard, Prairie View started the season with 98 players and they finished with 67, which was almost double last year. And they probably could have finished with more, but some players were urged to leave the team by the coaches for their own safety. We are now in year three, and Ronald Beard would be coming back in 1993, and he would be trying to finally score that win for the only sport on the Prairie View campus that still hasn't won a game since the sports program came back in 1991. Even the Prairie View men's basketball team, which went on a very long losing streak as well, losing their entire first season, they actually won a game last season. So again, they were the only team on campus that still didn't win. And just a heads up, the men's basketball team actually beat a Division II basketball team for their only win, but all the fans of Prairie View were just looking for everyone to finally get a win. But let's see who's coming back for them. They would be getting their best defensive player in junior linebacker Alphonse Provo, who had 94 tackles and six sacks in 1992. On offense, they would have a few old linemen back, and they would all average 6'3 and 275 pounds. So it was looking like a normal offensive line for the Division I AA ranks. Unfortunately, though, Prairie View A&M wouldn't have back Bo Gillard, who signed with the New England Patriots in the offseason, so their best wide receiver coming back only had 19 catches in his entire career. 
Along with Gillard not coming back, their best quarterback, Andre Riser, also was not on the roster for the 1993 season. So that was just a sample of who was not coming back for Prairie View. But who was coming back for Prairie View? They were actually getting their largest returning class as 29 lettermen from last year were coming back to play this season, which was almost double the previous season. So just a heads up, before I start the season, it was hard to find game-by-game stats for this season. But I do have enough detail for the few important games this season, so I will get to those and explain to those in detail when we get to them. Started the season as they always do in the Labor Day Classic against Texas Southern. They didn't have Michael Strahan anymore this year, but that didn't stop them from beating Prairie View by 30 points, 38-30, to to give them loss number one. Next up was out-of-conference opponent ND2 school, Langston, and they did better than they did against them last year as they would score a touchdown in this game, but Langston would score a lot more, winning 45-8. to In Game 3, Southern would play Prairie View, and they were bringing in a new coach and a better offense, which would make this game the opposite of their 1992 contest. As Southern ran away with this game 46-6, they would get a lot better, and they would end up winning the SWAC title in a couple of years. Grambling was up next, and Eddie Robinson's team never held back on Prairie View, even though most in the stands knew that this game was going to be a blowout. 40,000 people showed up to watch this game, really though they showed up for the bands at halftime. The football play wasn't great, especially from Prairie View, as they got shut out again against Grambling, 49 to nothing, and quickly Prairie View was 0-4. Okay, so I went through those first four games quickly because these next two games are versus infamous teams. First, they played West Texas A&M, who already had a win this season and were on their way to becoming a reputable D2 football program. This year's game was not as close as last year's game, as West Texas A&M jumped on them early and nearly shut them out, if not for a late score by Prairie View, to make the final 28-6. Prairie View A&M was 0-5, and they would now play 4-1 Alcorn State with junior Steve McNair, who was gaining way more attention this year, not only due to his stats, but also due to Alcorn State games all coming down to the wire. Four out of their first five games this season for Alcorn ended within three points, and four had wins all come down the wire due to McNair's running or passing them to victory at the end of the game. However, Alcorn didn't even need McNair to do any of those last-minute heroics, as he threw for a couple of touchdown passes, and Prairie View was never really in this game as they lost again 31-10. to Enjoy some more McNair highlights as I go over these next few games because they got smashed by SWAC teams like Alabama State and Mississippi Valley State 37-6 and 42-6 respectively. Both of these teams finished at or below 500. They all sat their starters in the second half, which allowed Prairie View to score either in the second half or near the second half. But Prairie View was now 0-8, and they would have an interesting opponent up next in the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, who are an NAIA team, so about three steps lower than Division I AA. But UAPB was interesting because they were playing football for the first time since 1990. The reason for this was because of a massive investigation by the NAIA that found the previous coaching staff using numerous fifth- and sixth-year players under pseudonyms. 
The investigation really started on three or four cases, but it wound up totaling 123, which was huge. The NAIA used to revoke schools' memberships because of massive violations like this, but instead they were given the death penalty as the school acknowledged their issue and cleaned up the program quickly. By the way, I've gone over the death penalty in a previous video. I'll link that above. So Pine Bluff didn't have an athletic program for the entire 1991 season. Pine Bluff's team would return in 1992, but they didn't play and instead used the year to recruit and got ready for 1993. And they were more ready than Prairie View were because UAPB already had four wins this season. The wins were over D2, D3, and NAIA schools, but still, they had four wins. Also, Pine Bluff did play Mississippi Valley State and Grambling and lost to them by two touchdowns or more in each of those games. So because of that, some of the people in the Prairie View campus were thinking maybe they could actually beat Pine Bluff since Pine Bluff did lose to some SWAC schools and some people were still thinking that Prairie View were on the same level as SWAC teams. Now I don't have any stats on this game and I wish I could actually watch this game because it was actually a really close game. UAPB could only score 12 points and Prairie View would end up getting in the end zone but with only two seconds left and they would end up going for two and got it. Unfortunately though that's all they could get and they lost 12 to 8. The streak is now at 33 straight losses and the opportunity to get a win were slim to none in these last two games. They played Jackson State in Game 10, who clobbered them 37-7 to close out another SWAC season winless. In their final game, they played Division I AA Independent School, UAB, who just started their program in 1991 and in their first year of playing D1 AA schools. UAB were already 8-2, and they smashed a few SWAC schools already this year, and they did the same to Prairie View, as they had over 500 yards of offense in this game. They actually had a receiver who had over 150 yards receiving in this game alone to win 58-12, but Prairie View did score 12 points in this game, so I guess that's pretty good for them. Gave Prairie View A&M another winless season, and now they had 35 straight losses to end this season. This season though they did improve point wise on offense as they had 77 points. They were only shut out once but I'm pretty sure most of these points came in the second half when they were already playing backups. I don't have player stats this season but there usually isn't much when I actually find some. On defense they gave up 423 points, a slight improvement from last year and also this year they didn't give up crazy scores like they did in previous years as in their final game versus UAB that was the most points they gave up all season, 58. And even though they didn't give up 60 or 90 points in a game, they consistently gave up 30 plus points as they did that in 9 games in the 1993 season. It's now 1994. Ronald Beard is now in year four. He is still without scholarships and he has worked through the challenges and is getting the team better and better every year. Along with that, he is also retaining players every year, which also helps to improve the team. One of those players that has gone all four years with Beard is senior linebacker Alphonse Provo. He would be the star of the defense and lead in all categories, and he also got double teamed in most games. This would normally help other players step up, but as you would hear, that really didn't happen again this year. On the offensive side of the ball, they increased their output over the last three years, but this year they would be starting with a lot of new talent and a lot of freshman talent. 
They would use two freshmen at QB this year, as well as at least three on their offensive line. This can usually benefit the team in year three or four, but these freshmen weren't scholarship athletes, so this was a team that was mostly walk-on freshmen. And if you wanted them to get better, you would have to hope that they could make it to junior and senior year. With knowing that, let's start 1994. They started it with the Labor Day Classic versus Texas Southern. Prairie View A&M actually looked good all game and hung around all game. It was only 14-7 at half. And after half, whoever stayed enjoyed a pretty tough second half where Prairie View actually got within a touchdown, but they couldn't come any closer, losing 20-13 and getting loss number 36. After that first game, it was looking like maybe they had turned the corner after 40 years, but then they played UA Pine Bluff, who were even better this year than they were last year, and they were able to get a full recruiting class this year as well. UA Pine Bluff crushed them early, and it wasn't even a game, as Pine Bluff easily won 51 to nothing. Langston was up next, and they were getting better and better every time Prairie View played them. They would actually win their conference this year, and Langston would dominate again this year, beating Prairie View 36-10. The game was actually not really as close as you would think. Game 4 was where the season crashed around them as they played Grambling in the Cotton Bowl. 66,000 people showed up to the game, but a lot of them came to see the bands and also to go to the state fair outside the stadium. But most of the people who bought tickets weren't really interested in the game as much as halftime when the Battle of the Bands came around. And you know what, they pretty much had every right to because this game was a complete blowout again, as Grambling would shut out Prairie View again 66 to nothing. Prairie View was now 0-4 and they had two shutouts already in this season. But that didn't really get them but that didn't get them down as they played Southern next and they played Southern really tough, at least for the first half. Prairie View had a 7-6 lead at half, which was really rare, but don't worry, it didn't last long because Southern would shut them out in the second half, 15-0, to win this game 21-6. With that last loss, Prairie View now hit number 40, and they would welcome Air McNair and Alcorn State to Prairie View next. By this point, McNair already had 2,000 passing yards, and he would use Prairie View to increase his stats even more. In this game, McNair was responsible for eight total touchdowns. He would pass for five touchdowns and run for three, as Alcorn easily won 69-14. Prairie View did have 180 rushing yards, but they only had 12 passing yards, which was awful, and especially awful since Alcorn State had the second worst defense in the SWAC, just barely ahead of Prairie View. So it wasn't really a big deal to score on Alcorn State. That was the reason why McNair had to always throw for at least five touchdowns every game. But enjoy some more McNair highlights as Prairie View stayed home to play Alabama State, who put up 54 points on them, but Prairie View again managed to get double digits, losing 54-13. Prairie View is now 0-7, but they would play Mississippi Valley State, who are in the bottom of the SWAC this year. This game was really the last chance they had to get a win this season, as they stayed close for the first half, but then they ran out of steam in the second half, and they lost 21-10. Prairie View A&M stepped down in competition in their next game as they played Tarleton State. 
who were making the transition from NAIA to Division II. This was the yearly game that they scheduled from a team in a lower level to try to get a win. This year's game wasn't really a step down for Prairie View. It was a step down for Tarleton, I guess, since they crushed them by 50 points, winning 70-20. to Prairie View had their final SWAC game next as they played Jackson State. And this game was not close at all, as Jackson State was awesome this year, and they gave nothing to Prairie View, beating them 52-7 to give Prairie View their fourth straight winless SWAC campaign. This loss also gave them their 45th straight loss, officially giving them the longest losing streak in Division I college football, going past Columbia's 44-game losing streak. I'll put the link above that because I did a two-parter on that. In their final game, they had UAB for the second year in a row, and they were in their fourth year of their program, and they played a full 1AA schedule as well as playing Big 12 team Kansas. UAB was 6-4 and four, and on a four-game winning streak. Prairie View was just looking to get through this game and end this season, and by the final score, that's what happened, as it was 48-6. to six which means they gave up six less points this year than they did last year, so that's at least a positive. But with that loss, they were 0-11 to end the season again, and the streak was at 46 to end the first half of this decade. We do have stats on this season, and obviously Prairie View finished last as a team in pretty much every category, except for rushing offense, they were second to last, penalties, they were third, and on offense, they did score 100 points. That was the first time they did that since the 1988 season. They averaged just a shade over 9 points, and they did average 209 yards per game. Their rushing offense, which finished second to last in the SWAC, had 1,252 yards, or just over 110 yards per game rushing. On defense, Provo led in sacks, tackles and tackles for loss and his only real help was Gerald Crowder who had seven interceptions and ran two back for touchdowns over the last two years but even with them on their defense they gave up 508 points this was higher than their previous two years and they were averaging giving up 46.2 points per game which was 13 points more than the next team in the SWAC. Prairie View would also average giving up 474 yards per game, and they gave up 200 yards in rushing and passing average per game. But even with all that, Ronald Beard was pretty confident that his team could improve next year, and since he had a lot of freshmen and sophomore playing this year that were coming back, Coach Beard was also looking towards the future because he knew he would get some help with scholarships finally coming for 1996. In October, Prairie View A&M welcomed a new president in Charles A. Hines. He was coming in to help Prairie View get back to being a great school as their budget was starting to get steady after years of decline. President Hines would start to improve other things on campus, which took his attention away from athletics. But starting in the spring and summer of 1995, he would start to make some changes. As Prairie View A&M University President Charles A. Hines reassigned Ronald Beard from his head coaching job to more of a teaching job and coaching of another team on campus. The president would also reassign the athletic director to another job and a different person for both jobs would be coming in. The person he hired was Hensley Sapenter. 
He was 55 at the time of his hiring, and he just retired last month as athletic director of the San Antonio school system and thought he was going to retire. But in late July, he was talked into and hired by the president as football coach and athletic director at Prairie View A&M. Sepenter was recently a part of the Prairie View A&M Hall of Fame and played on great teams in the 1950s, but he wasn't ready for this job at all for a few reasons. The first was that he wasn't really ready for how bad this team actually was. As he said, I don't know what the problems have been other than I know that Prairie View's athletic program has succumbed to about as low as an ebb as you can get, and there is nowhere to go but up. Another reason was he hadn't coached football and hadn't coached any sport in years. He stated to Sports Illustrated in 1996, but he said of coaching that it was like swimming and all he had to do was to just start doing it and he would start to get the hang of it. Those words didn't sit well with the former coach Ronald Beard as he would also talk to Sports Illustrated and he said, Mr. Sapender is in for a rude awakening. Coaching and swimming are nothing alike. Can you imagine the shock he's in for? Kids today aren't like they were when he was coaching in the 1960s, and the game has evolved immeasurably since 1972. He's going to Prairie View, the only school in the conference without scholarships. I wish him the best. I really do. But the sad fact of the matter is that unless things change, he doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, obviously Mr. Beard was pretty mad about getting reassigned very late in the school year. It was so late, in fact, that Ronald Beard did interviews for national and local media leading up to the 1995 season. Also, when I was researching this video, I found that Ronald Beard is still acknowledged as the head coach of the team in the SWAC media guide, and Mr. Sapender is not even mentioned at all. He's not even mentioned in the athletic director area. Unfortunately, though, this would end the time of Ronald Beard and his four-year coaching run as he went 0-44, making him the only coach in NCAA history to end his career without a win after coaching more than two seasons. He would never get another football coaching job, and you have to really feel for him, as he would even acknowledge his fate as being a winless coach. But he had so many handicaps that his teams were just barely better than high school teams, and they were playing a D1AA schedule. Beard would work for the university for years, and he would continue to watch the team, except he would watch it from the stands or from his television. But the 1995 season would start with Mr. Sepenter on an interim basis at the school to run the athletic department and the football team. He would get the job only if he could win. The school still had no scholarships and the lowest athletic budget in the SWAC and probably one of the lowest in 1AA. According to a 1996 SI article, their entire athletic budget for 14 teams in 1994 was $849,000. So you know they were still using hand-me-down uniforms and had assistant coaches that were doing other jobs on campus. The team that was coming back was very different than last year's as he didn't have his best two defensive players from last year. Top tackler Provo and linebacker Gerald Crowder, who had seven interceptions and ran two back for touchdowns, didn't come back. But he did have four out of five starters on his offensive line come back, as well as offensive players with some playing experience. But along with bringing in new players, he would just have to get the hang of coaching. So he would really have to rely on his assistants for most of the season, and it would show pretty early on. They started as usual Labor Day weekend versus Texas Southern, and this wasn't close like last year. And I'm sure most left at half as Texas Southern destroyed them 50-8. to 8. 
They were traveled to Abilene Christian next, who were from the D2 level, and they weren't a very good D2 team. That didn't matter, though, because it was 28-0 Abilene Christian at half, and it would be a 35-0 final. I do have some stats on this game, as Abilene Christian would have over 420 yards of total offense, while Prairie View managed only 197 yards. No matter the amount of yardage, they didn't get in the end zone, and they are now 0-2 on the year. They wouldn't get much closer to a win next as they would play Southern, who were becoming a top team in the SWAC, and they made very quick work of Prairie View, winning 68-6. Prairie View A&M got another step down in competition as they would play D2 team Tarleton State. They didn't give up 70 points to them this season, and they actually had a 6-0 lead, but that was when all the badness would happen. It would actually start happening on their PAT attempt when their kicker, who had only attempted one other extra point kick, would kick the ball way too low, so low that it would go off the back of a lineman. It was fortunate for Tarleton State, who would pick up the ball and run it back for a two-point return. Prairie View A&M still held a 6-2 lead, but then the next time the Panthers had the ball, they fumbled. Then they couldn't prevent a three-yard touchdown run, despite having 12 defenders on the field. Then they lost the ensuing kickoff, to lead to another short scoring run. After all that, it was Tarleton 32-6 with 11.04 left in the third quarter, and pretty much everyone would leave by that point. The final was 44-6. This game would be special, as they would lose their 50th straight game, and this was also the record-tying loss of the then-longest losing streak by McAllister, which I went over in my worst D3 schools, and I'll put a link to that above. Prairie View A&M's biggest game was up next as they would play Grambling in Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. Eddie Robinson was in his 53rd season. He was coming off a SWAC title in 1994, and he was going for his 399th win. Grambling had shut out Prairie View their last two years, and that streak would continue another year by an embarrassing volume again, 64 to nothing. So whoever stayed around after the bands performed got to see history as Prairie View A&M would cement their legacy with their 51st straight loss and officially the longest losing streak in all of college football any division. They played their yearly game against Oklahoma school Langston and they lost, but they would score double digits in this game as they got lost number 52 in a row by losing 48 to 12. I don't know if it was because they set the streak or that their next opponent was not that good because Prairie View A&M almost won as they traveled to Alcorn State. Alcorn State was not the same team they were the last couple of years, mostly because they didn't have Steve McNair anymore. And because of that, they were coming into this game 2-4, and four, and they were not scoring as many points as they used to score. Prairie View A&M's defense looked pretty good in this game, as they held Alcorn to only 13 points at half. Only thing was, Prairie View A&M also couldn't score, as they managed only a safety in the second half. The final was 13-2, but Prairie View didn't let Alcorn get anywhere near the end zone for the last half of the game. Prairie View A&M would play their final road game as they traveled to Alabama State, who crushed them 49-16, but the 16-point output by Prairie View was a top for them in the last three years. Prairie View A&M had homecoming up next, and it was their first home game of the season on October 28th. Mississippi Valley State was coming into this game 1-6 after a late win the previous week. 
Prairie View A&M couldn't do anything on their homecoming game, but less than 5,000 people showed up anyway. They did manage to score double digits, but they lost 35 to 14, and they got lost number 55. There were two games left, and this next one was a late addition. Again, this wasn't in the SWAC media guide. The reason for this game was probably because opponent Midwestern State was a Division II opponent, and well under 500. And well. And well, Midwestern State was pretty good against Prairie View because they had a 31-7 lead at half and the final wasn't much off as it was 37-15, so this late addition didn't work out for Prairie View. They were in their final game of the season and it was another home game for 7-2 Southern, who were undefeated in the SWAC and just needed to beat Prairie View to win the SWAC. Southern used this game as a tune-up for their finale and eventual play in the 1AA playoffs as they crushed Prairie View 68 to nothing. This ended the season as they would have 57 straight losses now. So another winless season was in the books, except this time there was a different coach. Coach Sapp was the coach this time. The offense, though, was horrible at the beginning of the season and got putrid by the end. They would score 79 points this season, which was 21 points less than the previous season and only 7 points per game. They were shut out three times, which was the most in a season since 1992. They were getting a lot better last year and not getting shut out. Their top passer this season was Reginald Pruholm, who had 963 yards, three touchdowns, but he had 11 picks. Prairie View A&M was the only team in the SWAC without a 1,000-yard passer this year or any year during this streak so far. On defense, they also got worse as they gave up 511 points. It was the most since their disastrous 1991 season. They really struggled, though, with the loss of Provo, but they did have the SWAC's second leading tackler in Otis Miles. He had 112 tackles. So it was clear that he was one of the few guys on defense that could play and could be trusted to get some tackles. This would end the second four-year class that has played or went to Prairie View and has not won a game. This is something I like to mention since in my previous video, like my Columbia video, it didn't get past two four-year classes. And this video, we're going to be getting past, oh, about three or four four-year classes. Along with that stat, it is also the end of the first season of Athletic Director and Coach Sapp. And it wasn't the best season for him, but his second season would start his downfall at the university. The 1996 season is here, and it actually started pretty well. Now, I say that because this was the first season that they had scholarship players for the first time since 1989. It wasn't a big recruiting class, though, as they could only manage 15 scholarships and partial ones at that. 15 is the minimum number you can have before you drop out of Division I AA. Athletic director and coach Sapenders said of the scholarships, no one should expect us to tear up the world because of these 15 scholarships. Hopefully we'll do better this year, merely from the standpoint that I personally had an opportunity to conduct a spring practice. Well, let's hope so, because he was able to get a better look at his team coming in this year as opposed to last year. He was bringing back his top quarterback from last year in Prudhomme, as well as his top receivers that had under a combined 550 yards, but that was three quarters of the receiving yardage. Unfortunately, the offense wasn't bringing back three out of five of their offensive linemen from the previous year. On the defensive side, they wouldn't be bringing back Otis Miles, who was their best tackler last year, but they would be bringing back their third best tackler who did play linebacker and DB so that was good but other than that Prairie View wasn't bringing back anyone on their D-line 
so that kind of means that things weren't going to be getting better anytime soon. The season started in Houston versus Texas Southern like it always does. The game started out fast for Texas Southern as they had a 21-0 lead at half, and it was 42-7 in the fourth quarter before the Prairie View A&M offense started to catch fire. If you were one of the 30,000 people in attendance that stayed after half after the bands performed, you actually got a pretty fun second half. Prairie View would score two touchdowns in the final six minutes, in the final six minutes, which were more points than they scored in several games the previous season. But the late scoring did nothing for them because they ended up giving up 515 yards in this game. The final was still 42-24. to This gave Prairie View an 0-1 record on this year, and now the streak is at 58 losses. But along with the loss, there was actually some really big news that came after the game, as Prairie View A&M suspended its head coach and athletic director, Hensley Sapender, and started an investigation into possible infractions of NCAA and SWAC rules. The university would say in a statement that the allegations involved the use of ineligible players in that loss to Texas Southern. The school would do a huge review and investigation, and during that time, Coach Sapender would be suspended with pay. So the team would have to get ready for two Division II football teams in the next weeks, and they would have a new coach. This time, their linebacker coach, Fred Freeman, he would coach the team. Since he was coaching, this game was not a blowout like the last time Prairie View played them, but they didn't get close to winning, even though the final was kind of close, 30-14, to so they held up a little bit. Next up, they played Hardin-Simmons, and the offense did what they did the previous game, scored two touchdowns, but that was pretty much all they could do, and they lost again. This time, it was a little worse, 42-12. to So this gave Prairie View their 60th loss in a row and continuing to cement their long losing streak. The investigation would continue to rage on as Prairie View would play SWAC teams. It started embarrassingly against Southern as they lost to the SWAC champs this year, 63 to nothing. They then traveled to Dallas next to play Grambling for the Battle of the Bands and also another terrible football game. This year, Prairie View would score versus Grambling for the first time since 1992, but it was probably too late as Grambling would put up 50-plus points again to win 54-12. to Prairie View would travel to Oklahoma next to play Langston University, and these games were usually when Prairie View played their best, not always against Langston, though. They would play their best here, though, as they scored more points in any game that they played in the last two years, as they got in the end zone three times. They started by scoring first and actually had a 7-0 lead, but that one last. Langston eventually outlasted them 37-20, but Prairie View had over 300 total yards and over 200 passing yards. These next three games though, they showed some change in Prairie View as they were still coached by interim coach Fred Freeman and their defense was getting a little bit better. Alcorn State would come to Prairie View first and shut out Prairie View, but it wasn't a crazy blowout by any means as it was only 24 to nothing, which sounds a lot better after being beaten 63 to nothing a few weeks previous. They would have another home game next versus Alabama State, and Prairie View would also have a QB change around this time as they would start to play quarterback Josh Barnes, who was an undersized but very mobile quarterback and was one of the 15 scholarship players on the team. That moving around and mobility was critical with a poor offensive line, as Prairie View managed to make it a game. As they lost by their closest margin in a while, 16 points, the final was 31-15, and the streak was now at 65 losses. 
Prairie View traveled to Mississippi to play Mississippi Valley State, and Mississippi Valley didn't crush Prairie View by any means. They didn't give up a lot of points, though. It was only 20 to nothing, but Prairie View was shut out again. Homecoming was up next, and 8,451 people would show up for the game, and they were thinking that maybe this homecoming game could be when the streak would finally end. I don't think all of those people were showing up just for the bands. And big news was that Coach Sapp was going to be on the sidelines starting next week, so he would be in attendance for the game. Another thing was they were going to be playing a pretty bad team. They were going to be playing a D2 squad called Midwestern State. They were 1-8 the previous year, so all signs were pointing to yes, that maybe Prairie View could finally win. But as you can see, there's a lot of time left in this video, so let's find out how this one got messed up. It was a scoreless affair until about three minutes left in the first half, as Midwestern State would score and then cause a turnover inside the Prairie View 40. They needed just one play to make it 14 to nothing at half. Prairie View would cut the margin to six with a touchdown and a two-point conversion late in the third quarter, but that slim margin would only last a few minutes as Midwestern State would score before the third quarter was over to make it 20-8. Prairie View would be able to score another touchdown in the third quarter, but couldn't convert on the extra point, and neither team would be able to score in the fourth, so this game ended 20-14. It was their closest loss and really their best game, as they were tied or within a touchdown for pretty much this whole game. I don't have all the stats, but I do have a little bit of stats on this game, and the star on the offense was Josh Barnes. He had two touchdowns as well as 120 passing yards, and led in rushing with 20 yards. Their finale would come and Coach Sapp was back on the sideline. This game was significant, well, not the game, because they got crushed 76-20, ending their season again 0-11. But it was because it was Coach Sapp's last game as coach. I'll get to more on him in just a second because I do have some stats on the season. First off, an offense, they had their best offensive year as they scored 131 points or about 12 points per game. This was the first time they averaged double-digit points in about eight years. Their best offensive player this year was a scholarship player, and he was a freshman. That was Josh Barnes. He was the quarterback who had 666 yards with seven touchdowns and 10 interceptions. Meanwhile, on defense, they gave up 439 points. This was the third least amount of points they gave up, and it was a big improvement from the previous year. I don't know if it was because they were coached most of the season by their linebacker coach, Fred Freeman, but Freeman was also a coach at Hampton, so he knew how to be a good college coach. Their best player was Michael Patterson. He was named to the All-SWAC team in 1996 as a DB, and he also returned kicks. But let's get back to Coach Sepp. He wasn't under SWAC investigation anymore, but the investigation dragged on for so long that there were rumors of his firing coming soon. There were even job openings for the head coach of the football team being advertised. However, on February 6, 1997, Greg Johnson was named as the next head coach of Prairie View A&M. He wasn't named the athletic director, he was just named coach. Even though media outlets ran with it, the hiring wasn't official by the school. And it wasn't official for a few weeks, due to a new athletic director needing to be hired as well. I even found an article that was basically another intro article to Coach Greg Johnson, where he talked about how he would run the program, and the newspaper was even mentioning how the hiring wasn't official yet, and this was in April. But Greg Johnson will be the new coach going forward, and would be official by the end of spring 1997. And with Greg Johnson's hiring, that would be the end of Coach Sapp, or Hensley Sapender. 
He was 0-22, and along with Beard has the rare distinction of being a coach with a winless record of more than one season. He was also given all the losses for the year, even though he was suspended for most of the 1996 season. Now, this guy is pretty controversial, even though he seems pretty tame to me. Uh, if you look him up pretty quickly, Ronald Beard really didn't have a lot of nice things to say about him, but that was because he was reassigned in his job. But also, after looking up this story, it's really hard to find a picture of Coach Hensley Sapender. I can't even find a picture of him on the sideline coaching. The best pictures I can find are these few right here and the ones I've been using throughout this video. And also, after looking him up, I didn't really find much into the investigation. He apparently used players that were past their eligibility, but since the athletic department was in flux for pretty much the last decade, it really wasn't proven if he did that or not. Plus, Coach Sapp was accused of paying for part of the scholarships, which is against the rules. But again, this team only had 15 scholarships, which was 40 less than any team that gives out Division I AA scholarships. So this shows how low the budget was for this school since it was 1996 and they were still running on a shoestring budget. But after mentioning all that, the streak lives on as we get to our third coach now. 36-year-old Greg Johnson would take over Prairie View A&M, and he was in for quite the job, as he would be coming from a familiar foe in Langston University. Johnson was a great young coach, as he was very good at Langston. He won two conference titles, he beat Prairie View A&M, and plus, he was a coach at the NAIA level, so he was used to having little or no scholarships, which was something he would have to have here at Prairie View. Another thing that Johnson had for him was that he was used to rebuilding a team as he took over Langston football team and turned them around at the age of 30. So he was looking towards the future and towards rebuilding another program. Even before Greg Johnson had the head coaching job, he was talking to his players. As one defensive end, Quinton Young, said in an interview with the Panther, the newspaper, that Coach Johnson had a zero-tolerance policy for players that chose not to comply with the rules and the workout regimen. Again, this was said in April, before he was officially head coach. So Coach Johnson knew what he was in for, and he was ready to get it done. Coming back for Prairie View this year was their best offensive player, Josh Barnes, and he would have a more experienced offensive line in front of him. On defense, Prairie View would have defensive back Quincy Fuller coming back, and the defensive line had a few scholarship recruits, so there was some hope in this line improving. And also, here's something else of note. They only played nine games this season, eight SWAC games and one out-of-conference game. I'm really surprised they couldn't schedule any Division II, Division III, NAIA teams to play them this year to try to get a win. Anyway, though, they started the season first Texas Southern in the Labor Day Classic, and this was a little closer than usual years. Prairie View A&M was only down 10-7 to at half, but unfortunately Prairie View couldn't get closer, and they hurt themselves in this game with seven turnovers. The final was 32-16. to but next week would be the most interesting game of the season, as Coach Johnson's old team, Langston University, would come to Prairie View. With emotions high and a lot of people thinking they could finally win since he was playing his old team, the Panthers got off to a one-point first quarter lead. But after two Langston scores, they were trailing, as per usual, at halftime, 13-7. The game was close after half, and despite outgaining Langston offensively 320 to 279 yard-wise, the Panthers fell in defeat 19-10. Yeah, this loss was really annoying due to the fact that Coach Johnson knew this team very well and he still couldn't pull it out. The embarrassing loss gave Prairie View loss number 70 as they continued to set a mark that no team would ever be able to reach. 
Okay, so last game was a kick in the balls, but this next game was pretty much a season ender as they played Southern. Southern were the best teams in the SWAC, and spoiler, they became the SWAC champs this year. The game wasn't much of a contest, as it was 21 to nothing after the first quarter and 42 to nothing at half. While the beatdown was happening, Prairie View would lose their best player, quarterback Josh Barnes. He would injure his shoulder and he would be out all season. The game finally ended 63-7, but losing Barnes only made this worse. Next game was famous because it was versus Eddie Robinson, and it was in his final State Fair Classic. Over 55,000 people showed up to see the 1-2 Grambling cruise by to win 33-6, only allowing Prairie View 77 total yards. But what was bigger was that it was Eddie Robinson's 407th win, and this would be his second-to-last win at Grambling, as the next week he would score his final win before he retired at the end of the season. They would get lost number 73 next week as they would play Alcorn State, who were still improving on offense after McNair left a couple of years ago. The score wasn't too crazy. It was respectable. They lost 24-9. Prairie View always had media attention to them, waiting to see when that pesky win would finally come, and a lot of media attention paid attention to this game as they played winless Alabama State. But even though Alabama State was winless and they haven't won in a year, uh, they cruised by Prairie View A&M 56-7. Prairie View looked like once again they were just trying to get to the end of the season any way they could because these next two games kind of gave me that idea. They came back home after being on the road for almost two months to get shut out by Mississippi Valley State. A little over 9,000 people showed up because it was homecoming, but I'm assuming most of them left after the bands left at half. Prairie View A&M would welcome Arkansas Pine Bluff next, who were making their arrivals back into the SWAC, and of course they were used to beating Prairie View A&M. They never forgot how to beat them, as they would only allow Prairie View A&M to get 126 yards, 14 points, as they beat them again, 48-14. to so we're at our finale of the season pretty quickly, and Prairie View is playing Jackson State. And according to their 1998 media guide, less than 400 people showed up, which might be true if they counted the attendance after a half. But anyway, the Panthers actually led after one quarter of play and held Jackson State to only five second-half points. But unfortunately, they couldn't put over 20 points, so they lost in their finale 20-7. to they ended their season an unusual 0-9 because they only played 9 games this season, and this season would end with their streak at 77 straight losses. And the streak really should have ended this year for Prairie View. I say that because their quarterback Josh Barnes, he led the team in yardage and touchdowns, and he only played two full games and didn't even play much of the third before the injury. He led the team with 597 yards passing with four touchdowns and six interceptions. If he would have actually played nine full games, he might have had 1,500 or maybe even 2,000 passing yards. But as a team, their passing offense was the better part of their offense as they had 1,030 yards with six touchdowns and 19 picks. Their rushing attack had under 1,000 yards, and they were getting outgained 2-1 to one in pretty much every game. They only scored 76 points this season, but they only played nine games, which averaged at about eight points per game. On defense, their leader was Quincy Fuller, who had 57 total tackles and two sacks. Meanwhile, the defense as a whole only gave up 322 points, which was their lowest during this run, but that's probably because they only played nine games. 
Greg Johnson would get another year on campus and it would be the most significant season in the last 50 years for Prairie View. So that would be a little spoiler for the 1998 season as they would bring in 15 new recruited scholarship athletes to the team. Along with that, they would return 27 of 46 lettermen from last year's squad. The list of returnees includes seven offensive and six defensive starters from that 97 team. On the offensive side, they would have Josh Barnes back and he would have an improved offensive line as four out of five starters from last year would return. Meanwhile, on defense, Quincy Fuller, their best defensive player, was back, as well as their second and third best tacklers in their linebacking core. But let's start this 1998 season because it's going to be fun. They started as always versus Texas Southern. Even though scores were getting closer, Prairie View really wasn't coming close to beating Texas Southern any year. This year, they only lost by 11, and the score was much lower, 24-13, giving them loss number 78 to start this season. Next up was an out-of-conference game versus D3 opponent Howard Payne. They were dropping down to play this team, and they would play them on the road, which is strange, but they weren't drawing many fans, so it really didn't matter where they played. They were on the road, and they were playing a lower-level team, so you know that some people were watching to see if this was the game when their pain would finally end and they would win. Prairie View fought hard all game. They were within one score all game too, but they just couldn't pull it off, and they lost 22-14 to to give them another loss to a team from a lower division. Southern was up next, and Prairie View traveled to Beaumont, Texas to play them. Prairie View might have been feeling the effects of the last game because they weren't in this game at all as they lost 37-7 to make them 0-3 in the season, and this loss was a big one because it gave them number 80. Yes, 80 straight losses. But another thing that happened during this game wasn't from the football team, but it was from the bands, as the Prairie View A&M and Southern bands would fight during halftime, resulting in both bands being suspended from several games, one of which was suspending Prairie View A&M from the Grambling game, which was one of the biggest for the school and the band, but the bands actually didn't listen to this suspension, which got Prairie View in more trouble at the end of the season. Let's move on, though, as Prairie View has 80 straight losses, and they were going on the road to Oklahoma to play Langston University. It was Coach Greg Johnson's old school, and the way the game started made it look like Prairie View was going to lose this game to them again. It was 3-0 Langston at half, and Prairie View only had 49 yards. But after half, Prairie View stopped Langston all throughout the third quarter and scored twice on Kevin Bell runs of 57 and 69, plus they converted the extra points on both of them to be up 14-3. to This was their biggest lead in a decade. They would need to hold on through the fourth quarter as Langston would get a field goal and drive in to score a touchdown with less than a minute to go. But on the two-point conversion, Prairie View stood them up and held them off to be up 14-12. to But don't worry, nothing else bad happened. Prairie View won. They did it. It was over. The streak that started all the way back in 1989 was over in 1998. After seven full seasons and five games, the streak was over. The Langston fans in attendance were shocked, and the Panther fans were shocked too, but they weren't shocked enough to tear down the goalpost of Langston. Also, the Prairie View A&M players and fans dug up portions of the turf for souvenirs. Again, it wasn't their field. Coach Greg Johnson would say after the game, this time the other guy had missed opportunities. We've been there one time or two. 
The win didn't lead to a winning streak, it actually led to another losing streak, but Prairie View looked really good in their next four games after the win. They followed up with scoring 40 points in a shootout loss to Grambling, 55-40, and they had a new coach on the sideline in NFL Super Bowl winner Doug Williams. Then they got within 10 points in their next two games versus Alcorn State and Alabama State, and then Prairie View would play lower-level team Oklahoma Panhandle, and they lost to them by three. And this loss would have been bad, but they were just happy that they actually had one win this season. Prairie View A&M never got close in their final three games, and they ended this season 1-10. But this was the first time since 1989 that the fans could cheer that they ended the season 1-10. After the season, however, there would be some bad news, as Greg Johnson would resign and end his coaching run at Prairie View A&M. But it didn't end because he found a better job. It was because he broke NCAA rules by paying for a former player's tuition and housing with scholarship money available from players who had left the program already. Coach Johnson admitted to it by saying, I got caught up in trying to do too much. And the school would make Clifton Gillard, the longtime on and off assistant and track and field coach, head coach in the 1999 season. Coach Gillard and his Panthers in 1999 won two games, more games than they won in the entire decade of the 1990s. But both wins were against teams in the Division II, Division III, or NAIA level. Gillard would only last a season, and Prairie View A&M would hire Larry Dorsey, who gave Prairie View A&M their first SWAC win since 1989 as they beat Alcorn State in 2000. And yeah, like I said, this streak is so epic, you can see how long it took me to go over it. It is the most epic streak in American football, and probably the most epic losing streak in North American sports. Like I said before, I don't think the streak could ever be matched again without a team really cutting their budget and just absolutely not even caring about the team whatsoever. Plus, I don't think this could happen again because Prairie View had no scholarships from 1990 to 1995. Then from 96 to 98, they only had 15, which nowadays wouldn't make you a Division I school or an FCS school. It, it might make you just barely a Division II school, and you might be competitive at that level. And I said this before in my previous video that Prairie View just really should have taken off a year or two and just recruited players, practiced, scrimmaged, just try to get better instead of playing the 1991 and 1992 and 93 seasons because they were so far behind every school, not just schools in their own conference. They were behind Division II, Division Three schools. They were pretty much on the level of an NAIA school, just barely above a high school team pretty much. I say that because from 1991 to 1993, this might have been the worst three-year stretch of any school I can find. They only averaged five and a half points per game they also gave up an average of 45 points per game through those 33 games they were shut out 10 times out of 33 games and like I said, they just had so many handicaps, it was just so unfair to them. But in total, during this 80-game losing streak, they gave up a total of 3,261 points, meaning that they gave up 43.5 points per game. This was higher than previous teams I have covered in my deep dives. Uh, they also gave up 60-plus points in 11 games, most of them from their first three years. And I covered that already. Plus, of course, they gave up 90 points in that game in 1991, which was just ridiculous. And during the 80-game losing streak, they scored 566 points, averaging 7.5 points per game. But that probably came from a lot in the 94 through 97 season when they actually scored uh, 100 points or more in two of those seasons. 
So I know that was long and I know that was kind of brutal, but if you want to check out the video version of this, I have part one and part two. I split it up into two parts. You can check it out right now on my YouTube. Just search Wrong Sports. Also, make sure you check me out on Twitter at Wrong Sports and on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Wrong Sports. Thank you so much for hanging out with me for this hour plus long podcast, but I will be having more podcasts coming up for you in the future. Thank you so much.